When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Dutch's potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week. I don't usually uh, speak to you guys midweek and I definitely didn't expect to be doing so, but given the latest unfortunate news surrounding the Bulls with yet another key player going down with an injury for an extended period of time, I felt it was necessary to discuss Chris Dunn's knee injury and the potential repercussions this has for the Bulls over the next four to six weeks of the season. So, Joining me today to talk Dunn's injury as well as that crazy and weird, unexpected win over the over the Charlotte Hornets is Darnell Mabry, who I'm sure everyone knows is a senior writer covering the Bulls for the Athletic. Darnell, thanks for jumping on the podcast, mate. Your first appearance on Bulls HQ, but I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, it's not uh, not uh, ideal in Bulls Nation right now. It's pretty unfortunate start to this season. There was so much. Uh, anticipation for what these guys were going to do coming back in year two of the rebuild is, I guess, what we're what we're all calling it. But you know, first day of camp, Denzel Valentine goes down. Uh, I think it was the second or third day of camp, Larry Marketing goes down, and then you know the the injury news to Chris, Chris Dunn out of nowhere. I mean, it shocked everyone uh, the other day when they announced it, and you know everyone thought he was fine. The writers who were in Dallas, I was not. Uh, the writers who were in Dallas said they talked to him after the game and he was fine. He wasn't, you know, he didn't appear to have a limp or anything like that. He he answered questions and everyone thought everything was fine. And all of a sudden Fred Hoiberg steps to the mics um, the other day of practice and uh, announces this unfortunate injury news. And, and everyone knows obviously how important the point guard position is and, and to not have Chris Dunn for, you know, potentially up to two two months. You know, I know they're saying four to six weeks, but you just never know. I mean, he, he's going to have to get his rhythm and timing back. He's going to have to get his conditioning, his legs, 
Uh, and that's hoping that everything goes well, that he doesn't have a setback. So you know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how long he's out and what this team can do without him. Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't expect the news watching the game. I had no idea that he was kind of hurt, and the news came a bit, a bit of a shock to me, as as I'm sure it did for most people. So just just painting a picture for you, um, given the time zones for me, it was like 5 a.m. in the morning when I found out the news. I I'd woke up randomly at 5 a.m. in the morning for whatever reason. I got on and checked Twitter in half a daze, and I don't know if you were necessarily the first one with the news, but for whatever reason as to where my timeline opened up, your tweet was the first one that I saw when I saw the news that Dunn was out potentially for four to six weeks or that he got hurt. I'm glad I could ruin your morning at 5 (laughs) a.m. Yeah, I didn't want to necessarily blame you for my lack of sleep, Darnell, but safe to say I didn't get to back to bed (laughs) at that point, but... But like I said, this injury was completely out of the blue for me. It was kind of rough in that sense. But did, did you see it happen in real time? And, and and did you notice it at the time? I know you had a you, you caught the play afterwards there after the game. But during the the game itself, did you did you see him get hurt at all? I didn't. I thought there was another play in the game that slips my mind right now. But there there was another play that I felt like, oh boy, that didn't look good. But uh, you know, turns out he was fine. And it was the another play. Uh, the one I put on Twitter that is the one that he actually got hurt on. And that's uh, just unfortunate because it was such a routine basketball play. And, uh, you know, he, he, he actually made the layup. I was kind of joking with some, some other writers that for as much as he struggles sometimes finishing, he made the layup and, you know, then obviously has the, uh, the unfortunate injury to his knee. So uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it live and I had to go back and, and review that second quarter to see, what play it happened on. So um, you, you just feel bad for Chris Dunn because like a lot of these guys, he's put in so much work and tried to uh, really become a better player and improve his, his game. And, you know, the birth of his son, you, that's excusable. Obviously, uh, you know, that's the most important thing in life. He misses the first two games, he comes back. And then all of a sudden in that first game that he's, that he plays, uh, this happens. And so now he's going to miss four to six weeks at minimum. And, uh, you just feel bad for the the young man. Yeah, definitely, and it, it's yeah, it's unfortunate news for Don. And, and given you know the amount of work these guys put in the off season, then to come back in your first game and get hurt, it it must be you know it's obviously tough for us fans, but for for someone like Don to be in his position, it's probably even worse for him. But on some levels, I'm not surprised that he got hurt. I mean, the way he plays the game, it, it's not unsurprising for him to get hurt. But even though. I didn't necessarily expect it to happen in the first game back, but like you said, he's out four to six weeks now, maybe even longer, who knows. But how do the Bulls even try to cover this situation in the immediate ter- uh, short term? I think we've all been pointing out that the, the the gaps that the Bulls have on the bench, particularly at point guard, but how do they even try to cover this in the immediate short term? Yeah, I think we're seeing it. Uh, and and we've saw, we saw it the first two games without Chris, and, and we saw it... Um, Against Charlotte at home, uh, you know, the first game Chris missed after the injury news was announced. They're putting the ball in Zach Levine's hands a ton this year because they just don't have uh, very many other options. Cameron Payne has been, uh, I think, solid, not spectacular, far from spectacular, but solid. And Ryan Archidiacono has really played well. So, um, you know, those two guys are giving them good minutes uh, at times, but. Levine is really going to have to be the guy who who everything runs through, and Jabari Parker as well. So if they can get better production out of those two guys as playmakers, then I think that that'll help them be able to 
withstand this loss for a little bit. But, you know, as you know, Mark, the problem is Zach Levine hasn't been great as a playmaker or a distributor, um, you know, a lead ball handler. He, he's had some experience in this league going back to Minnesota. Uh, but, you know, his, his decision-making can stand to improve. His assist to turnover ratio can stand to improve. Um, you know, some of the passes that he makes are, are, are risky, unnecessary passes. And, you know, he's got to really work on that to be able to, to carry the load if, if they're going to be looking to him to, to facilitate and play and lead this team with the ball in his hands. So yeah, that, that that's something that I was expecting to see more of Levine dominating the ball. Like he he's been a high usage player in the first few games anyway, so it was probably going to be the case once Dunn was was back, uh, irrespective of that. But I, I guess I was expecting Levine to take over a little bit more, maybe have some lineups where Levine is is uh, functioning as a sole point guard, and maybe even out there with maybe like Chandler Hutchinson and and Justin Holiday surrounding him on the wing, but. We just got done watching the Hornets game, so it's not necessarily the uh, the best example, given that Payne and Archie Diakono were actually quite good in this game. But do you foresee a situation where the Bulls are sort of going away from lineups where they don't necessarily have a traditional point guard out there and, and, and are pretty much just running Levine at point guard as such? Not, not at this time, because, like you said, Cameron Payne just had the game of his life. Uh, Ryan Archie Diakono was giving him good minutes. Uh, and, and so I do think Fred Hoiberg wants to continue to have a, a secondary ball handler out there. Uh, I do think that when Denzel Valentine comes back, and who knows when that might be, mm. then that might give them a little bit more flexibility, uh, a room to play with something something like that, uh, because Denzel can handle the ball. And you know, I'm not saying he's a point guard and should be bringing the ball up the floor, but he can, you know, facilitate and make some plays in the half court set. So. Uh, I think that that could be an interesting look. And and Fred Hoiberg actually just mentioned it at practice yesterday that, uh, you know, because Zach has so much experience running point guard back in Minnesota, he feels really comfortable with him in that position. So uh, I do think that once Denzel comes back, we could see something like that. Yeah, I, I like that move. I think that'll be interesting. And we, we got to see more of Hutchison tonight. He's not necessarily a ball player in terms of, of out there creating, but I thought he played pretty well tonight. But that's something I want to see either before Valentine comes back or, or even after he is back. But thinking more holistically of this point guard situation and the fact that the Bulls will be leaning quite heavily on Payne and Archie Diakono now in place of Dunn, I mean, these two guys are young, inexperienced guards. They're fighting for their careers to, uh, at this point, essentially, particularly Payne coming into the last year of his rookie deal. But just thinking holistically and just generally how management have gone about building or fitting out this point guard position, do, do you have any insight at all as to why they opted to use both the backup and the third string and maybe even a little bit of the fourth string point guard slots here on guys that are fighting for the fighting for their careers who have... I guess not a lot of experience in, in situations in running teams. The the truth of the matter is I don't think they look at it like that. I think they really believe in Cameron Payne and if nothing else, believe in giving him a, a shot. And, uh, you know, I'm working on a, a story on Cameron Payne and about all of his trials and tribulations and, excuse me, sort of what he's been through and, and how he got here. And, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating story, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't really take the time to take into consideration, his backstory and um, some of the, the injuries and, and just the, the adversities that he's had and had to overcome, um, you know, to get on the floor, just to get on the floor, forget about playing well. Uh, and, I, and I do think that the front office takes that into consideration 
much more than the fans do. And they want to be able to say that they know without a shadow of a doubt that he is not the player that they thought he was or uh, is not the player who can be uh, a, a capable backup going forward. So, um, you know, I think they're just really trying to do their best to give him every opportunity that they can uh, when healthy. That's a key phrase, Mark, when healthy, uh, because he hasn't had health on his side throughout his career. And um, when he is healthy, you know, he has moments where he looks like he's a very, very uh, capable backup point guard. Uh, but it's just, you know, having that health on his side has been a, a really big issue for him. And the front office knows it. Uh, Payne knows it. The coaching staff knows it. And when he's healthy, uh, they want to be able to see what he can do out there. As far as Ryan Archidiakono, I don't think they look at him as anything more than a third point guard uh, to be able to use in emergency situations. And, and in the year two of the rebuild, they, they want to give him some opportunities, too. And he's obviously playing well and, and showing them that he can he can go out there and contribute and make an impact on this team. So you have to tip your cap to, to Archie Diakono because he is making the most of the opportunity, and that's what you want to see guys do. Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, it's, it's probably not the best game to judge this situation or the best time to, to be judging it right now, given that Payne had a career night, and even Archie Diakono off the bench was quite good with his 10 points as well. But I, I guess my point, larger, or my larger point rather, is whilst I understand the need to maybe have someone like Cameron Payne in there. It would have been nice to maybe have one of Payne or Archie Diakono or even one of Euless and Harrison be, or that spot be to a veteran guard, I think, particularly with a lot of these young forwards on young forwards and centers on the, on the roster sort of thing. But it is what it is, I guess. But I, I guess you've essentially answered my next question was for me, I have concerns about, about this point guard rotation. So I was, I was thinking larger, or larger term now or longer term rather given that Dunny's out if there was potential for a trade to sort of uh, materialize given that Dunny's out for quite a while and we've got so much inexperience at the point guard position but having just heard what you just uh, suggested there that's probably unlikely yeah I mean you know they really don't have the means to go out there um, in free agency you know try to grab someone unless it's a minimum contract and you know obviously they'd have to waive someone else which shouldn't be an issue on this team but uh, in terms of a trade, I don't see I don't see that happening because they know that uh, Dunn's coming back. You know, it's it's not a long term injury, um, and if you make that move, what are you really trying to accomplish at this point? Uh, when you have two guys who you actually do want to get a, a better look at, uh, if you go out and, and try to get someone, you have to give up an asset, at least one asset. You know hopefully not a draft pick, uh, to, to get a temporary guy in here. And I just don't think that that is something that's on their radar. Now, with that being said, as soon as this podcast publishes or, or posts, they'll probably make a trade, knowing my <laughs> luck. But, but uh, I just don't see it happening. And if it did, I'd be, I'd be surprised. because Mostly because of, number one, the cost. What would it cost the team? And number two, uh, what would it cost in terms of uh, you know, jeopardizing some of the other guys minutes to guys that they want to have have a, a nice hard look at. Yeah, I mean that there's certainly fair points. I, again, I, I just go back to thinking about Larry Markman and, and even Wendell Carter Jr. And yeah, I, I guess in the totem pole of things, I, I put their development first, and having maybe a mature age point guard around the squad could help you know develop those guys at a more rapid rate. But I mean, you make good points that it's probably unlikely as to why 
the Bulls will bring in a veteran point gun at this point. But but thinking about Don and, and the fact that he's obviously gone down here with an injury uh, so soon in the season, he obviously missed time last season with a, a spate of random and just, just, just weird injuries, I guess, particularly that one against the Golden State Warriors where he landed on his face almost. And, um, you know, that untimely injury there after he was playing well. Do the Bulls treat Dunn now as an injury-prone guy going forward or do they view these injuries as just completely random and, you know, things that just can't be explained or necessarily planned for? Do, how do you think they'll view him from, uh, I guess, projecting him forward on the roster? I think that they'll probably operate as if he is, you know, had some bad luck, has had some bad luck and, and, you know, has had some fluke injuries. Now, my problem with that argument or that logic is that is the definition of injury prone. You know, I mean, if you have these fluke injuries and they continue to happen to you, that's that makes you injury prone. And, you know, I think Chris Dunn is injury prone. I you know, I, I really do believe that because he continues to have just these fluky things happen to him. Uh, you know, he was going in for a layup, and I'm sure you know all the listeners have seen that play by now. Um, and if they haven't, you know, it's just a random, you know, l- driving layup that um, is just a routine basketball play. And he comes down. He does come down a little bit awkwardly, but you, you barely notice it. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a, it's a significant knee injury. So to me, that's the definition of injury prone. Uh, now whether or not that changes the bulls thinking going forward, I can't really speak to that. I do think that they are going to, uh, you know, continue to give him an opportunity and, and just try to flank him with a backup point guard that is capable. And, um, you know, we're seeing them spin their wheels, trying to, trying to find, quality players they brought in Shaquille Harrison they they brought in Tyler Eulis on the two-way deal uh and at some point I do think we're going to see those guys get some opportunities but I'd be shocked if they do much differently uh in the in in light of Chris Dunn's latest injury yeah and to your point look he missed 30 games last season with a, a few injuries last season he's probably going to miss at least 20 games you would imagine here with the knee injuries so you know and hopefully fingers crossed there's nothing there's no more injuries for the remainder of the season for him, but it's not the it's not the start that he needed for year three coming into a season where, it, at least in my opinion, he was probably the most important player on the roster given that I, I, I have my concerns about the depth at point guard. So I'm hoping he gets back quick and when he does return that he's ready to go and, and he's fully fit and healthy because the Bulls will be desperately needing him, particularly once Larry Markinen is back and, and hopefully the team at that point is still a... A slight chance to maybe, uh, maybe not necessarily make the playoffs, but at least by be playing competitive basketball, like they did tonight against the the Charlotte Hornets. So let's talk about the Hornets. And my first question to you, Darnell, about this Hornets is: Do you want to take credit for this one? Because you've mentioned it before. You've uh, you've probably been one of the lone voices about Cameron Payne, sort of sticking up for the guy in a time where a lot of Bulls fans are pretty quick to get on someone like Cameron Payne. So do you want to take credit uh, credit for this uh, Cameron Payne performance and and for this W? Not at all. Cameron (laughs) Payne deserves all the credit. And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, you know, for, for your listeners, I'd like to clear up something. It's not that I am saying Cameron Payne is, you know, the next Isaiah Thomas, Um, you know, but I do think that he has, shown us glimpses of his potential in terms of being able to knock down threes and not just in this Hornets game, 
but even before then, I mean, I think, what did he shoot, 38% mm. last year when he came back, something like that, from three? Yep. So the guy is capable. He's a capable player. And what I sort of don't understand, I'll put it that way, when it comes to the fan base and, and the hate for Cameron Payne is <clears throat> some of the adjectives that are used. And I don't know what you, you know, how colorful you get with your language on your podcast, Mark, but it's some very colorful language. And I just don't understand how they can say that the guy is worthless and useless and, you know, other words that, that I, I'll refrain from using. Uh, and, and that's my, that was my whole thing is just, let, let's look at what he's doing and not just, uh, you know, go along with the crowd and say that he is this, you know, unusable player because that's far from the truth. When he's healthy, he's proven that or demonstrated, at least in spurts, he does need to work on consistency. He'll be the first to admit that. But he's not a worthless player. Uh, he's not a useless player. Uh, and, and he does do some things very well. And that's all I was really trying to get across. Let me back up. Not very well. He does do some things well. Um <laughs> So, so that, that's it. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see him after battling through so much adversity, go out there and have some success. And, and, um, you know, I think he deserves it. Uh, he, he, he's really been through a lot and I know I'm sounding like a Cameron Payne defender right now. And, and again, trust me, that's not what I'm trying to do. I just really don't understand the logic behind calling him worthless and useless and so many other things. And, and I guess it's probably I'm looking at it from a different angle because I didn't care about Todd Gibson like Bulls fans do, yeah. did yeah. and do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I didn't care that the Bulls traded the farm. You know, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but traded so much to get him. Uh, I, I, I didn't care about that. You know, I just look at what he's what he is uh, and what he's able to do. And I think so many people are, are probably taking out those things on him and to me that's unfair yeah and, and look you raised the exact point i was going to raise and you know you've probably seen a lot more pain than what we have given you've spent some time in okc before chicago so, he couldn't get on the floor <laughs> it's not like he was he couldn't get on the floor down there either too much so. that, that's true but you still would have uh you still would have seen more from pain than what most bulls fans did, would have before he uh stepped stepped on the floor for the chicago bulls and, and to the point you exactly raised i think pain in a lot of ways, in the same way that Chris Dunn and Zach Levine, sort of that stigma they carried early last season, because they were traded, and they were traded for players that were beloved by this franchise or the fans of this franchise, franchise, and they came in and they didn't necessarily perform up to expectations. And given the uh, the angst this fan base has towards management, it, it's unfair that someone like Payne or even Dunn and Levine last season, it, it's unfair the anger they cop the uh the wayward anger they cop from fans and I'm, look I've been guilty of it myself at, at times so I, I can't necessarily speak too highly here but I understand the position you're taking as well because I feel like I'm doing the same for Fed Hoiberg but I, and whilst I don't necessarily want to paint the picture that you're a this this huge uh, defender of Cameron Payne I think it's fair to say that your voice in this has been not unique but it's it's one that the 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 fan base sort of needs to hear because. You raise, you have raised some good things about Cameron Payne in terms of what he can do. I'm sure in this story that you're producing as well will be a good one, an insightful one for Bulls fans to read because it is very easy to overlook the guy. But tonight he was absolutely awesome, 21 points, hit seven threes, and I'm pretty sure they're all in the second half, which I'm, I believe is a franchise tying record. I, th I believe I saw that on Twitter, which was kind of crazy. But I'm not sure if they get this win without Cameron Payne. 
Yeah, I mean that's the that's the crazy thing about it is he was scoreless in the first half, and I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go, it's Philly all over again. You know, when when I thought he was, you know, a lot of people kind of really um, had some choice words about his performance in that game, and I thought, you know, I went back and watched his minutes, and I thought that he performed okay. You know, he did his job. He could have done it better. He could he needed to make some shots. Uh, and he needed to be a little bit more aggressive offensively. Um, but he did a lot of things fairly well in that game. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking he was 0 for 2 in the first half in, the, in this Hornets game. Uh, you know, he was getting some teammates involved a little bit, but he also struggled a little bit turning the ball over. And, you know, he hadn't scored. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, here we go. Hoiberg's uh, uh, about to go to Archidiakono any minute. And... Uh, to his credit, again, he comes out in the, in the second half and scores all 21 of his points and, and hits those seven threes. And and it's crazy that Hoiberg said it after the last home game that Payne just needs one shot to go down. Uh, you know, he just needs to see one go in and then it, it takes the lid off for him and he, he grows confident. And, you know, next thing you know, he's he's starting to knock him in. We've never seen him do this before. He's never done it before. But uh, you know, it, it kind of shows you what he's capable of when he feels like he is comfortable and confident and in a rhythm uh, and, and is just out there playing freely and loosely. And, uh, you know, he can, he can make an impact. Definitely. And look, it was obviously the three-pointers that were the story of the game, the seven from 11th from behind the three-point line. That was huge. But he also came out there, grabbed five rebounds, had four assists. But he was also good in that Detroit Pistons game as well. So it's not like it's been a complete aberration for Payne, even though that I don't necessarily expect him to come out and shoot uh, and make seven threes next game. But he's been okay to start this season. And I think we do. We were a little bit harsh on him after that Philly game going up against Ben Simmons in place of Chris Dunn. That's never an easy task. But as much as this game was about Cameron Payne and, and the threes that he, he hit, ultimately the Bulls win this game because of Zach Levine. So another 30-point night for Zach. He also had the, the uh, four rebounds and five assists. We talked about his playmaking ability and, and the fact that he's sort of growing in that space. And this is probably the silver lining we've done out that we get to see Zach Levine, the playmaker, and what he can do. And hopefully that will be the silver lining and this will be an opportunity for him to grow a little bit more as well. But take me through your thoughts about Zach Levine tonight, his performance in general, and what you liked from what you saw from him again in this game against the Hornets, but generally what we've seen since the start of preseason. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because, and I don't know, uh, you know, I wasn't really paying too much attention to Twitter outside of what I was tweeting during the game. But so I don't know what everyone else, thought about his performance tonight, but I thought he was very, very disappointing in the first half. Um, and, and again, I don't know what else, what anyone else thinks of it, but I just didn't like the way he came out. He, I, I thought he was playing selfishly. I, mm-hmm. It looked to me like he was gunning for 30 points to continue the streak, uh, you know, which players have been known to do. And they, they hear these stats and they want to keep streaks alive and uh, you know, continue to, to, to boost their resume and, and, and have their name mentioned among all time greats. And tonight with his fourth straight 30 point game um, to start the season, he put himself in a conversation with only Michael Jordan uh, as among bulls who have done that. So, you know, it, it was Michael Jordan, Bob Love and him. And now I've, I've, it's just Zach Levine and Michael Jordan. And that's obviously great company. Uh, but I just didn't like the way he came out in the first half. There were two or three possessions where Justin Holiday 
was wide open for a kickout. And Zach Levine just kind of four shots and dribbled in traffic. And, uh, you know, some of the shots he made, I think he was four of nine, something like that in the first half. But uh, he, he just didn't look like the same player we saw throughout most of the first three games. He had his moments, his rough patches in, in some of those first three. But I just thought he was a little too aggressive tonight in the first half but wonderful in the second half. And the reason I didn't really, I really didn't like what he did in the first half was because he can get his shot whenever he wants. He's the only guy on the team. Antonio Blakeney might be in that category, but I, you know, <laughs> on a different, on a much smaller scale, yeah. um, he's going to, and it won't be for a lack of trying if he doesn't, if he's not able to get it, he's going to try to get a <laughs> shot. But, but uh, I do think that Zach Levine is the only guy who can consistently get a good look whenever he wants uh, or get to the rim or get to the free throw line. Uh, so I felt like he should have come out a little bit more um, in playmaker mode and, and tried to get others involved. And he didn't do that. And it looked like some of the shots he, would take, he was taking was just, they were just so forced. And, uh, and you could just see the, the look on Justin Holiday's face like, Zach, I'm open. Pass me the ball. Uh, and Zach refused. So uh, I didn't like the first half, but I did love his his second half, and especially the way he closed the game, uh, defending, switching out to Kimba Walker, and and really uh, doing the best he could to limit Kimba. So so really nice game from for Zach. Um, some of the shot selection again in the first half, I didn't really like or care for, uh, but I thought he he really smartened up in the second half and and played much more in control and much more within himself. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I, I can agree to that because I think in that Dallas game as well, whilst he had that 30.9 against the Mavericks, I thought a lot of his shots that he took in that Dallas game weren't necessarily good ones. But to your point, he came good in that second half, particularly on defense. Like There's still always going to be a couple of plays where you can highlight where his defense isn't great. I know I did that tonight on Twitter where he completely lost sight of his uh, defender. And I think it was uh, Nick Batu went in there for an easy dunk at one point, maybe in the second quarter. But I think largely you have to be pretty happy with what Levine dished up, particularly at the fact that the Bulls got the ball back there on a defensive play he made on Kemba Walker. So they were in a position there to, to go in, um, to get some points at the towards the end of the game and really ice that game or take the lead in, of, in that game because of a defensive play Zach Levine made, which is not something we're used to saying about Zach. Yeah, he's trying. You, I mean, you can say a lot about his defense, but the one thing that I will say is that he is trying. Uh, there are times when he just it just looks horrendous because he loses his man so easily, mm. uh, and next thing you know, it's a back door or a uh, you know a wide open three, something like that. But I, I do think he is genuinely giving good effort for the most part. He, when it comes to transition, he needs to get get back on defense, and and that can be a lot better. But um, especially like when he misses a layup or or doesn't get a call, something like that. So. Um, Although he hadn't missed many layups this season, that's one of the things about Zach's Zach's uh, performance, early season performance, has really been impressive. Some of the acrobatic layups that he's been able to make, left hand, right hand, doesn't matter. He's he's finishing incredibly well, and uh, you know I think that's almost getting lost in the mix of some of the three pointers that he's making and some of the other difficult shots that he's he's making. So. Um, I, I do like what he's done this year. He's, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and criticize him too harshly because, um, you know, I, I think he's giving good effort defensively and he's making incredible shots offensively and not without so much help. You know, he doesn't have a lot of help out there offensively. Bobby Portis had that 
great first game, and he's kind of been, excuse me, he's kind of been uh, downhill from there. Uh, and now he's going to have this, his knee scanned uh, in the morning. What is that going to be? Uh, what's today? I don't even know what today is. Thursday morning uh, in Chicago. And, and you got to have your fingers crossed that he's not going to be out for a significant amount of time. But he declined comment to reporters today. Uh, the Bulls are, will not practice on Thursday. So, you know, who knows what the status of Bobby Portis is going to be going forward. That's going to be interesting because they can't afford to lose another largely reliable player. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the funny thing in, in a way. Our injuries, uh, funny isn't the right word, but you would have thought the power forward position was probably the the strongest the Bulls are probably at. But Larry Markin is, is obviously out. Now potentially Bobby Portis too. And I guess that pretty much only really leaves Jabari Parker at power forward. So seeing Portis go down and he was clearly in obvious pain after getting hurt there. I'm not sure if it was the ankle or the knee, maybe a combination of the two, but... It, it, it doesn't look great for Porter, so that's probably the only real negative coming out of this game. So hopefully it's not too bad for Bobby, given that, one, he's been playing pretty well to start the season, and the fact that he's obviously a free agent in the offseason turned down, or the Bulls and, and Porter couldn't reach a, an extension. So hopefully it's not a significant knee injury or something of that nature for Bobby, but that's probably the only real negative coming out of this game. But do you think... Uh, Zach Levine was uh, a little bit happier with some of the sets that uh, Fred Hoiberg was running there. You know, <laughs> I was sitting there laughing on press row tonight because <laughs> I'm thinking Cameron Payne's got the hot hand. I wonder if they're going to run sets for Cameron Payne and get the ball <laughs> to the right people. You know, so it just it was just funny to to think back to that comment and now to see Cameron Payne have the hot hand. Like, are you going to give the ball up, Zach? Probably not, especially not to Cameron Payne, but. But uh, I don't even remember the question, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it was, it was more just me being a, a bit silly there about just pointing out the the uh, random and odd comments Le, uh, Levine had after the Dallas game where he was sort of, I wasn't sure if he was calling out Hoiberg necessarily or necessarily calling out the team for not running the appropriate sets that Hoiberg was designing out of timeouts or whatever it may have been. It was kind of an odd one, but it came out randomly, but... Yeah, I was just, uh, just pointing or poking a little fun there, given that the Bulls managed to, to eke out this win, and there probably won't be any talk about bad coaching or bad uh, play calls or anything of that after this game I'm, I'm tipping. Fred Hoiberg, <clears throat> I thought, coached a heck of a game. Yes, um, he did. You know, his late game execution uh, or, or, or decision-making, not execution, but late game decisions – uh, were on point, I thought. He did offense for defense on the possession uh, where Zach got the steal. He took out Jabari Parker. He puts in Ryan Archidiakono, uh, you know, smaller, quicker, more athletic. I don't know if he's more athletic, but he's scrappier. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely scrappier. More great. He's, yeah, he's going to go out there and, and give it all defensively. You know that about Archidiakono. And then when the Bulls got the ball back, he takes out Archidiakono and puts in Jabari Parker. So, uh, and not just that, but he continued to target Kimball Walker in that ball screen, get it, trying to get the switch on uh, on Cameron Payne's man, who was Kimball Walker, uh, and get a smaller man on Zach Levine. Um, and Zach Levine went to work. Obviously, that that one of the, the last shots he took, people didn't like because he settled and looked like he had a clear driving lane to, to try to either get closer to the rim or and and finish or kick out to it. Cameron Payne was sitting on seven threes at that point. So, um, you know, I, I really liked what I, what we saw from Fred Hoiberg tonight. 
Yeah, me too. And, and as someone who's been uh, branded a Hoiberg defender at this point, I was very happy to see some of the changes he made in this game. So we talked about a couple there uh, in terms of offensive and def- uh, defensive sort of substitutions that he made towards the death of the game. But even in that second quarter, even during the first quarter, the fact that he went to Cristiano Felicio, to me at least, was a, was a, an attempt to really corral Kemba Walker now that Dunn was out and and they were switching a lot more with the bigs with using Felicio in place of Lopez at that in, in that situation so that was an interesting move from from Hoiberg Felicio came up pretty big nine points five rebounds in this game but isn't but even given more men, uh, minutes to Chandler Hutchinson who was probably really was well, not probably he was really good eight points for for the rookie there in 13 minutes I was a little bit concerned in terms of where he was going he hadn't looked very strong through preseason and the start of this season but that was definitely his best showing and he had that huge dunk in the second quarter so that was an adjustment from Fred Hoiberg getting minutes to Felicio but also playing Chandler Hutchinson more yeah and and you know when Felicio checked in the first time I, I don't know what Wendell Carter had going on maybe he had something in his eye maybe he had something in his shoe I don't mm. know but he came out for about a minute but it was so early in the game I think it was about nine minutes left in the game in the first quarter um and and Cristiano Felicio's checking in not, you know not only is he checking in he's checking in over Robin Lopez he's checking in early in the game and I'm thinking what is happening here and I'm thinking oh I say okay when when Wendell came back in I thought all right, he, you know, Wendell had something wrong, and this was just they didn't want to mess up the rotation and put Robin in. But when it was time for Wendell to sit, they right, they went right back to Felicio, and I'm thinking, am I on Mars right now? What what is happening? <laughs> but then, again, to his credit, and I'm saying that a lot because everyone played well tonight. I thought it was um, pretty much everyone played well, um, but Felicio played played his butt off and you have to give him credit because he came in and he did exactly what he was supposed to do uh in his minutes and for a guy who hasn't played i don't know if he's gotten in the game at all this year um yeah i can't remember seeing him he may have played spot minutes in a blowout or something like that but yeah not meaningful minutes so for a guy who hasn't played at all uh you gotta you you really gotta give him credit for for going out there and, and performing the way he did i mean i thought he was you know, he, he was making himself available for passes on, on rolls to the rim. Uh, you know, he was rebounding. He was moving his feet defensively and 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 and, and picking up the coverages that the Bulls were throwing at the Hornets tonight. So, uh, you know, I thought he played really well. And, and uh, you know, that's not something I expected, to say the least. No, definitely. And look, I, I assumed I had missed the news about Robin Lopez. I thought maybe I missed a tweet or something that he was not available for some reason in this game, hence why uh, Felicio was checking in, but that wasn't the case. I was, I was surprised as anyone else, but as, as you pointed out, he was really good. But obviously we're uh, reveling in this win at the moment, but there's probably still some some um, some lasting concerns, some themes that we've seen over the first nine or so games, including preseason, that still reared its head in this Hornets game. Even though the Bulls got the win, the two-point win, they still gave up 110 points to the Hornets, who aren't necessarily an offensive juggernaut themselves. The Bulls' defensive rating tonight, 115.8, which is a, a marginal improvement on what they've been doing in other games, but still pretty poor. They gave up 35 three-point attempts. They had eight more turnovers than the Hornets, so they've still got a lot to clean up before their next game against the Hornets on the road. Come on, Mark. Can we just enjoy one win for <laughs> one night? <laughs> we, we can, no. we can, but I've got to bring, it, bring us back down to some sort of uh, realistic plane here. 
Um, no, you, you make great points, obviously. But uh, I think what one thing that we probably all got to wrap our minds around with the scoring is it's up and yeah. it's going to yeah. stay up. And 110 points is the new 100 points, you know. So uh, I, I think they did a, a terrific job. They held the Hornets, I think, what, 43% shooting. Uh, the Hornets took 35 threes, only made 10 of, of yeah. those threes. So, uh, you know, they, they, <clears throat> they did a, a really nice job, I thought, defensively. Uh, obviously, there are still holes, there's still gaps, there's still lapses, there's still um, some, some rotations that are off. But the effort, I thought, was tremendous tonight, and I thought it was, you know, miles better than what it's been. So uh, I was impressed. I was impressed with him. And, and, and not to mention, Kimball Walker. You know, Cameron Payne almost outplayed Kimball Walker. Mm, he did. <laughs> uh, and, and you could probably say he did. I mean, it, the box score doesn't show it. You know, Kimball had 23 points. Payne had 21. But Kimball was 5 of 14. So the defensive job they did on Kimball Walker, who's off to a great start this season, scoring the ball, uh, I, th- I thought was, was incredible. Now, on Friday, I think Kimball Walker is going to end up with 45 points. <laughs> I just he was mad all night he was griping to the refs all night and and he just never seemed to find his rhythm and I think going back home seeing this team and seeing what they did to him they you know they they trapped him they switched a lot early then they start trying to trap him uh, they threw a lot of coverages at him uh, but again the Bulls executed those coverages nicely uh, and I, I think he's going to bounce back and Friday could be a different story hopefully well well Hopefully for the Bulls, it's not the, that the story. But um, um, yeah, you would expect the Hornets, a, a mature age roster, to be probably reeling after this win. A, a, a win they pro- or a game they probably uh, thought they may have had a W here, particularly on the road. So they go back home now and obviously face the Bulls and will be trying to get back that W. But have you been somewhat surprised about the three-point offense as well as the three-point defense for the Chicago Bulls? Obviously, I referenced the three-pointers there. The Bulls are pretty much last in the league in three-point attempts. But beyond that, even on offense, the Bulls haven't been necessarily taking many threes themselves. And I think prior to this game, it was only 26 threes per game, which is uh, was bottom five per uh, per game in the league. They were getting outscored by about 15 points from the three-point line prior to this game. So... Not only have they been giving a lot, giving up a lot of threes, but they haven't been making them themselves. Now, obviously, when you take out Larry Markman and Denzel Valentine from the rotation, that's going to impact your your ability to hit threes from deep. But did you expect such a discrepancy that we've seen over the first four games in this regular season? I didn't, and I tell you, I know the exact moment when I felt some concern. It was the, I think it was the second preseason game in Milwaukee. Uh, and it, we, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with Jabari Parker going out there and trying to prove a message, but from the, from the opening tip, it just did not look good offensively. The ball was not moving. They moved the ball. I thought a lot better last season. Uh, you know, when people were in the, in the lineup and healthy and, uh, I just didn't think that the ball was moving. And, you know, I looked up at the numbers just yesterday and sure enough they're dead last in passes per game and I think we're seeing way too much isolation which is very disturbing because Zach Levine's the only elite one-on-one score they have um and, and then I think they're all trying to do it too much really I, I do uh I think they're all trying to do too much on their own I should say and 
they got to get away from that. Somehow, some way, they've got to try to get back to working the ball around uh, and, and getting good looks and helping each other out. I mean, Zach's on a mission, I think, to, and he said, you know, he wants to prove that he's worth the contract. It looks like he's coming out there trying to prove that he's worth the contract at times. Uh, but I do think he's played well for the most part. But I think he needs to move the ball more. I think Jabari Parker needs to move the ball more. And I actually thought Jabari Parker in this Hornets game moved the ball incredibly well. Like He was finding uh, his teammates and, and, and getting guys get good looks. So, um, you know, you got to give, give him a lot of credit for, for the way that he came out there and played in that Hornets game. But defensively, in terms of giving up threes, I just think that they – they're having so much trouble stopping the ball. Ball movement is going to kill this team until they figure out these rotations because you saw it in that Dallas game. The ball just whipped around and whipped around until they found the open shooter. Uh, and, you know, the teams that are willing to do that are going to get whatever open shot they want as long as they're patient. And the Bulls haven't demonstrated that level of patience. And it's, I think, one of the reasons we're not seeing them uh, get as many three-point shots. But also, Fred Hoiberg has said that he wants them to drive the ball. Uh, he wants them to continue to put pressure on the defense and try to get some free throws, which I understand that logic completely. But at the same time, in a league where everyone's shooting so many threes now, uh, driving the ball and, and and pulling up for the Jabari Parker special, the, the long-contested <laughs> mid-range shot, you know, that's that's not going to win you very many games. You know, that's not a fair fight. So I think they need to start trying to match wits with some of these teams. And, and obviously without Larry Markkinen and, and uh, Denzel Valentine, it's going to be hard to keep up. But, hey, you got Cameron Payne hitting seven of them a game now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that just, just adds to the aberration of this game and the fact that the Bulls probably don't get this W without Payne tonight, which is which is kind of crazy to think about. But it's a little bit more crazy to think about because you had something on – the athletic that uh, this morning, my time at least, that I read, which was uh, somewhat scathing about the Bulls, I guess, and just their their general state of the franchise. And you referenced the fact that the team wasn't moving the ball in that piece, that the fact that they're pretty much last in the league in passes and touches at the moment, or at least prior to this Hornets game. So I gave you credit before for this win, but do you feel like this is kind of like an ironic win that you released that sort of pretty um that fire article but at the same time the bulls come out then after that and pretty much have this just crazy random stupid game (laughs) yeah i'm an idiot i'm an idiot (laughs) no but here's what happens in this league all the time in professional sports really all the time you know guys teams have adversity uh they hit adversity and and they you know everyone's counting them out and they go out there and they put together one great game or one great performance and uh, you know, get a feel-good win, and then before you know it, it's right back to uh, the status quo. And, you know, I'm not predicting that the Bulls will, you know, go out there and, and just continue to lay more eggs, but I do think that it's going to be a struggle. They just don't have the firepower. Zach Levine's not going to score 30 points. I mean, he's not going to average 30 points this season, I don't think. Uh, he looked like he was trying tonight, though. Um so I think that that was probably a little bit of what what went on. Uh, win one for the Gipper type thing. They knew Chris Dunn was going to be out for a while. They knew their backs were against the wall. And so they wanted to go out there and really put on a nice uh, performance and play well. And, <clears throat> you know, look, you know, they were they were a, a, a Charlotte Hornets turnover away from losing this game. So I don't want to act like everything is, you know, and, and you just said it, you know, there's still some issues, but. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think this one game 
overshadows the um what's the word that I want to use the the spectacle that this that this season has become quickly and for as long as these guys are going to be out with injuries uh and as long as they're going to be relying on you know Cameron Payne and Ryan Archidiakono and apparently Cristiano Felicio and Chandler Hutchinson <laughs> Uh, I, I just I, they're going to have their share of struggles. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to read too much into one game. No, I think that's certainly fair. And look, we've, we've mentioned that they're back on the road against the Hornets on Friday. On Saturday, they're on the road against the Atlanta Hawks. Now, the Hawks, obviously a rebuilding team themselves, but they've been kind of frisky here and Trey Young's been balling out. So that's not necessarily a guaranteed win, but they're the next two games, but thereafter, starting Monday, they've got the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Indiana Pacers, the Houston Rockets. So that's a tough stretch of stretch of games coming up next week. So if the Bulls are going to get a few wins here on the ball, they need to get them before they face the Golden State Warriors, one would imagine. But the last one, Darnell, before I let you get off here, is the the tank narrative. We saw this before before this game as well. And again, this feeds into the whole idea of the Bulls always do the reverse of what you expect them to do. It's something that they just have done over the last three, four, five years. It's always the always the case with this team for whatever reason. But a lot of people online were firing up the tank narrative after the done uh, the done news came out. I thought it was a little bit early for that talk, but I guess getting back to what we've been talking about in in terms of their deficiencies that this squad currently has, even in light of all the injuries. Do they even need to actively tank to be bad at the moment? Because it seems like they can go out there and just do their thing and still be pretty damn bad. I, I thought that's actually what they were doing when they put Felicio in the game. I really did. <laughs> I looked around, I threw my hands up and I said, where am I? And how did I get here? Who kidnapped me? How did I get here? Uh, but, but you know, I mean, they, they have, like you said, a lot of deficiencies. Their defense is not going to be good this this season. Uh, and because of all the injuries, uh, particularly to Larry Markkinen uh, and Chris Dunn, uh, they're 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 going to have their share of struggles. So I don't think that they need to go out there and and sit Robin Lopez or sit uh, you know, Zach Levine again like they did at the end of last year. They're going to lose games organically this time. Um, but man, it was good that they got this win because, it, like you said, that schedule that's coming up. It's not pretty, and if they didn't get this one, you don't know where the next one was or the first one would have come. So, um, but it's funny though, Mark. I, I was sitting there thinking, and I shouldn't say this. I know this, but I'm sitting there thinking, really, guys, you're gonna win this game, really? Because I'm kind of on the tank. I'm kind of on the tank myself. Like, just well, yeah, I saw you. I saw RJ you reach out to Tankathon. <laughs> yeah, I, I just go. I'm gonna, and I'm going down to Indianapolis. I think it's about two, two and a half hour drive from here, something like that. Maybe three. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm going to go down there in two weeks and I'm going to check out those guys. And I want to see what what they look like and how they could potentially fit in a Chicago Bulls uniform. So uh, it, it, to me, <laughs> here's my logic. Get the losses out of the way early. That way, in the second half of the season, you can, you know, if you win, all right, no big deal. You, you know, you're just making up for lost time with the wins. but you've got enough losses in the bank to where you could potentially be uh, one of the one, have one of the, I don't want to say one of the worst teams, but have one of the worst records. So, uh, and with the lottery reform, you know, who knows, who knows what would happen. You could have the fifth worst record and end up with the first pick. So uh, I, I do think that they, at this point, you know, with so many injuries, 
I'm not saying go out there and actively do it. Maybe it happens organically, like like we said. But the best thing that could happen to this Bulls team is going out and getting R.J. Barrett, Cameron Reddish, or, or Zion Williamson. Yeah, I mean, th- that's certainly the case. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of time in the coming months for some draft talks. I won't I won't labor on that point too much, but we'll, we'll see what happens as long as as long as there's organic growth of the players as well, if these L's start to sort of rack up, like we've seen with Zach Levine, he's obviously clearly improved. We get to see Larry Markkinen maybe in a month or so. So so long as these players are out there and improving, we've seen, I've liked what I've seen from Wendell Carter Jr. as well, then I don't really care about the result. But we'll see how it all plays out over the coming months. But Darnell, I appreciate you jumping on the line, mate, and um, spending some time with me here to, to go through the unfortunate news about Chris Dunn. But then... So I guess pick things up here with this, like I said, this random, crazy, stupid win over the uh, Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> I, I appreciate you jumping on, mate. But before you get away, if you could just let the people know where to follow you online. I'm sure they know already, but uh, yeah, just give yourself a plug. Theathletic.com. Uh, you know, we're in every U.S. market now and in Canada. Well, not every U.S. market, but uh, we're covering every pro team in, in the U.S. and we're in Canada as well. And, you know, for a very low, low monthly fee you know you can get some great quality journalism and uh you find us at the athletic shy on twitter and i'm at darnell mayberry d-a-r-n-e-l-l-m-a-y-b-e-r-r-y on twitter perfect mate i appreciate you coming on and uh, i'm sure you've got those nuggets to work on for us in the morning that i'm I'm definitely will be reading on the athletic so again thanks for coming on and uh, we'll do it again sometime anytime keep up the great work thanks mate all right, folks, so that just about does it for another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for jumping on and joining me this week. Uh, again, like I said a little bit earlier, it wasn't a planned episode necessarily. I, I didn't really want to be doing this podcast, obviously, given the news with Chris Dunn. Uh, I'd rather him be out there healthy playing and, and that sort of thing. But obviously, given his injury, I thought it was it, it made sense to jump online and, and get our thoughts out there about Chris Dunn. But it was also timely as well that the Bulls happened to pull out an amazing win here against the Charlotte Hornets. So... Thanks for joining me. Thanks again to Darnell for coming on. It was always a pleasure talking to someone like Darnell who covers his team pretty extensively. So give Darnell a follow if you're not already doing so. I'm sure you are as well as The Athletic too, but do that if you're not. In the meantime, follow the show on Twitter at Pod. Follow me on Twitter at MKHoops. And we'll be back again on Monday with another wrap-up of probably the weekend's games here. It'll be me, it'll be Fred Pfeiffer, we'll be talking bulls. So be on the lookout for that on Monday. So until then, thanks for joining me and I'll catch you all again next time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.